This is Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. Our heart for you is that you would live like Jesus and share his love. Hell is one of those things that has been trivialized by Hollywood. So many people use hell as a bad word, or they'll say, all my friends will be there, so I want to be there. Today, Pastor Josh Harriman, Pastor Ryan Bibb, myself, Pastor JB, we're going to talk about the misconceptions surrounding this very real place. Here's Josh, Ryan, and myself with today's edition of Radiant Reflections. Welcome back to Radiant Reflections. My name is Josh Herma, one of your hosts, and I am joined once again by Pastor Ryan Bibb, my co-host. Hello. Hi. How are you? Are you just playing with your microphone over there? Well, new mics this time That's right. for this episode, so I was just looking at the pack here. Don't be like twirling knobs on there or anything. Or nope. We'll... <laughs> It'll be like, I can't hear Ryan at all in this episode. I just make it awkward. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we are joined no as... No one all... answered the questions. I don't understand. <laughs> That's right. Maybe, oh, that'd be an interesting podcast episode. We just ask the questions and let the listeners and the viewers answer the questions. Mm. I don't know. There you go. I don't think they'd appreciate that. I don't know. Some of them might. But we are joined once again by our, our also really kind of a co-host and producer, uh, Pastor Josh Brown. How are you doing this morning? Glad to be here, guys. I love Radiant Reflections, and I'm glad we're back at it. Right on. Well, we are in our Death and Dying series, and today we want to tackle another you know, very lightweight, uh, fluffy topic. Uh, today we're talking about hell. Is this the wrap-up of it? Uh, Is this the last not one? Not if we end up doing one more episode on... Okay. Well, no, because we, so we've got one coming down the line about the stewardship of death, where we, uh, we actually do an interview with an estate planning lawyer... There you go. So that will be coming out here uh, in the next couple of episodes. Okay. Uh, we might do one on wonky ideas. Not wonky. You know, just some different ideas people have about the afterlife. You know, we talked about heaven in the last episode. We're talking about hell in this episode. Uh, we might do one talking about just some third options <laughs> that we wouldn't uh, really agree with. So, but yeah, so today we're talking about hell. So let's start a little bit on maybe the lighter side. Maybe some people don't consider this the lighter side. So Ryan, in your professional pastoral opinion, is hell a bad word? (laughs) So I joked around before with you when I saw that question. I said, now you're purposely trying to get me in trouble with this question. Uh, Is hell a bad word? Um, It's a bad place. It's not a place I want to go. Um, <laughs> why are you smiling? Because you're, you're, you're artfully dodging the, the I question. I am, aren't so. I? Uh, you know, let's be honest, okay? I'm going to rip, rip the band-aid off right now. Some people say, um, and, and viewers and listeners, I am, please hear my heart. I'm, I'm not cussing <laughs> when I say this, but, um, you know, the saying is, you hear a lot, what the hell? Uh, that, that is definitely a predominant saying in our culture today. Is that a curse word when you say it that way? Um, I'll be honest, I, I don't know. I mean, people say, oh, for heaven's sake, why isn't that a cuss word hmm. when we say that? Um, so just fun things to wrestle with and grapple. I think a lot of people think because hell is a four-letter word and they have a lot of bad four-letter words um, so I, I actually, I tried to like research the origins of hell as a, as a curse word and I couldn't find anything 
conclusive. Yeah. So it was all kind of like, well, maybe, you know, so some people said, well, it's because you know, if you use it in a, in a sense of like cursing somebody, like, oh, and again, like here, here's, like if you got kids listening to your word, like maybe plug their ears or something. Right, but I mean, if you say to somebody, hey, like go to hell. I mean, that's, that's a harsh, harsh thing to say to somebody. Absolutely, right? so, like so that is inappropriate. The, that's inappropriate. If it has connotations of a, of a curse, mm-hmm. right? That is that's absolutely yes. should be off yep. the table. Yep. Um, now, the ones that have always puzzled me are the ones where they they use it as a as kind of a comparative, like oh man, like that was like that was funny as hell. I'm like so so not funny at all. Or burning you, in fire is also funny. Right. Or, yeah. or, or cold as. And I'm like, you clearly, <laughs> you clearly haven't read any of the descriptions <laughs> of hell uh, before you made that statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are, there are a couple of ways that people would use it. Yeah. But, just, but you, you nailed it. If you use it as a curse like that, like go to hell, that is highly inappropriate. But let's, to let's use that word in that way. But on a more like really practical level, right? Because there are people that they won't even say it. Like you're talking about heaven and then there are people that'll be like, oh, like H-E double hockey sticks. You know, and it's like, no, like, like, I don't, I don't think we have to be scared to say the word hell. I would, I would agree with you. I mean, I've, I've taught my kids in our home. We talk heaven and hell, right? I mean, it's, it's a place. It's a real place. And so, yeah, I do agree that we in our faith don't need to be afraid of that four-letter word, so to speak. I mean, not in the sense of don't want to go there, but in the sense of actually saying it, like, because mm-hmm. it's, it's reality. Um, it's part of, honestly, it's part of the understanding the gospel mm-hmm. is this four-letter word, hell. So, uh, yeah, talking to the kids, it's always fun because definitely kids are like, oh, I can't say that. It's like, it, it, it is a place. It is a place. And you can, yeah, so, I don't know. There, there's definitely, it's a, it's a touchy word for sure. We should like start, you know, pushing the idea that we should use other locations in place of curse words. Columbus. So you can be like, what the Columbus are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that thing was, as, that was funny as Chattanooga. I don't know. It doesn't have quite the same ring, but, you know, there you go. All right. There is, it's, an, it's an interesting first question, for sure. Especially if you look and try to find the origins of why this four-letter word is, yeah. yeah. Yep. So when I was a teenager, I worked at a restaurant, right, and one of my fellow dish dogs, as we called ourselves, right, we, were, we got talking about stuff. And Hold on. They call each other dish dogs? Well, Yes, there was a there was a group of us, and this is maybe sacrilegious. I don't know. So, like, <laughs> but there were there were four of us. We actually called ourselves the Dish Gods because we pretty much were awesome. So, at like, doing dishes. G A W G. No. What? That's <laughs> the way you pronounced it. Okay. God. I don't say God. Like Dude, say just not as long as that. <laughs> right, but so then you can't, you can't like draw it out. So anyways, so the dish gods, Sorry. dish gods, like there, there was four of us in particular. I was Nigel, 
My buddy Ross was uh, Wally, the dish god. My buddy Scotsy was Buddha Shaki, the Alaskan sumo. And <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> That's what I'm just shaking my uh, head. Yeah, it was good stuff. And then uh, what was Zach? Uh, anyways, regardless, this is way off track. I've gotten us way off track. So then we had an, another guy, Zach. Uh, he was the dish dog and he would know but th- that was just the the general and then we 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 switched it to dish gods anyhow i worked with this kid not one of the dish dish gods he was one of the dish dogs <laughs> and and in a conversation one time he was actually he was excited to go to hell wait what because he's like he's like dude like they're gonna have an awesome party in hell Hmm. Right, like if you think about all the people that traditionally would say you're probably like gonna be in hell, hmm. he's like, that's who I want to hang out with. And he was like, he was a metalhead, you know. Hey, I, I love, I love me some metal. I mean, he's a metalhead, so he's, you know. You want to explain that in case any listener or viewer doesn't get what a metalhead. Metalhead, so so metal music, like heavy metal. Uh, you know, I've always enjoyed uh, a little bit of that. And within heavy metal, even you know whether it's faith-based or, or mainstream, right? They use a lot of death imagery. So, I mean, mm. so that's, you know, but I, I enjoy metal. Really good, really good uh, guitar work. Really good, really good drumming. Yeah. I prefer jazz music. Thank you. Hey, but hey, jazz is good too. I, there are very few types of music that I don't uh, enjoy. But there are some. There are some, yes. Uh, I do not care for rap, uh, nor do I care for country music. You're correct. So <laughs> on that one. So I'm sorry if you're if you're watching or listening and you love those. We still love you. Uh, we still love you. Uh, I uh, especially rap. Like make a case. I want to. <laughs> I, I challenge you good. to make a case for how that's actually music. But there we go. Screamo music isn't music either. Well, it might not be like the best vocals. Although I was, we're totally getting off track. I will say, like, you have to have vocal stamina to the max mm. to sing metal or hardcore. Like, you're not messing around. Like, you got guys, there's a band, Living Sacrifice, Bruce Fitzhugh. He's been singing hardcore for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Like, to be able to do that and, and not have totally just roasted your voice, like, that is some vocal stamina. I give Versus you, that. you get, I mean, I can see it. rappers could have a 50 year career because all they're doing is going, like, yeah. What up? Like, and that's it. Like, All that's right, back it. the question. <laughs> Sorry for Josh, wasting. Josh, that was the boomerest thing you've ever said. Seconds of your life. Home slice. Oh. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's back right. to the question. Back your the question. guy that you so, used to work with said it's going to be one hell of a party. He says there? it's going to be it's going to be a party. Yeah. Right. Where do you think that idea comes from? Like, where where along the the mm-hmm. the path mm-hmm. have we taken? You know. Uh, an understanding of what hell is and, and spun it as something positive to yeah. where somebody would actually want to go there. Yeah, I, I, I don't, again, going back to something you said with the first question, I don't, I don't know the origin per se, but I think my own educated understanding guess uh, could be this, that there's an idea that heaven is boring, right? All we're gonna do is the false narrative is we're going to get wings and play the harp, like boring, you know, type thing. I don't want to do that for a billion years. Right. And uh, there's a false narrative out there that following God is only about obeying rules, which for a lot, that's not fun. 
always just obeying rules, um, that there's a false narrative that God is this killjoy, that I want to have fun. And if I become into the faith, if I become a follower, a disciple of Jesus, um, that means I can't do certain things mm. now. And the, and the fun is out of my life. So why would I want to pursue that when on the other side, it's all about the self-gratification, being self-centered, and that's where joy and fun comes out of. Mm. Which we know that's just a false narrative. That's what it's coming from. So if, if heaven is boring, it's all about the rules, playing a harp, getting some wings, and wearing that baby diaper, you know, <laughs> that, that typical, what it was, that, that. Cherub. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, heaven must be boring. So in hell, maybe I, if heaven's boring, it's the opposite. Hell's the opposite of heaven. So boring, it must be fun. I can do whatever I want. Hmm. But again, it all, listen to my own language. I, 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 it's all about that. And so that, that's my guess is following God is rules, boring. Heaven's got to be boring. Hell must be the opposite. It's going to be fun. There you go. What you're going Rebellious is, spirit, those type of things. It's a misunderstanding of what heaven is. Yeah. You know, for sure. And a misunderstanding, clearly a misunderstanding of what, what hell is. Because the greatest joy, sorry, the greatest joy in this life is following Jesus. It's the greatest joy. It's, it's true joy. And we look at it, you know, you talk about rules, right? We look at rules sometimes and we think it's restrictive and it's, it's keeping me from being free when in reality, when we live into God's design, when we live into a, a godly ethic, uh, then really we have, we have great freedom when we, when we play within those bounds. So it isn't, a, it isn't the idea that God's a, just a cosmic killjoy who right. you know, doesn't want us to have right. any fun. It's healthy. And, These are healthy bounds. Because God knows outside, you're going to bring chaos into your life. Mm. And that won't be fun. True yeah. story. Yep. So one of the objections, right? So, so let's say somebody adheres to a, a more uh, biblically sound, which we'll actually, <laughs> we'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes, what, what the Bible actually says about hell, because there are multiple views uh, about what hell actually is. But let's say somebody, uh, they adhere to this idea that hell is not a place you want to be, right? They're, they're not looking to go there and have a party with all the, you know, the friends that they've made. Um, and it's, it's this terrible, terrible experience. Some people will then object, well, why would a loving God send somebody to hell if it's, if it's, torment if it's if it's this horrendous place and you sit here and you tell me that god is love that you know he he loves us all yeah i mean and, and you've probably heard this objection you know i mean this comes up in conversation on a, on a semi-regular basis uh you know if you engage people who aren't within the church um what what do you think about that like why why would he do that if he loves us why put me in this place of essentially torture and torment? And Yeah, I'm going to bring up a Bible verse. First Timothy, First Timothy 2.4 reads this way, that all men, this is God's desire, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Like That's God's heart, all men, men and women, everyone, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we know 
looking at scripture, and there's some other Bible verses about God's desire of all coming to know who he is. Um, so if we know that, um, we have to stop there and understand that God's heart is for everyone to know him, to come into relationship with him. That is his heart. Now, God has also given us free will for us to choose to follow or not. But we know his heart is that we all would follow after him. Now, ultimately, I are on the side that free will is ultimately love at its purest sometimes, mm -hmm. in the sense that the opposite of free will is I have control over you and I control everything. And we know um, control is not love. You're never, it's not an unconditional love. You are getting what you want by controlling things. And so um, God has given us free will. Ultimately, that's love. And we know when people, according to scripture, when people walk away from God or never encounter and come into a relationship, it breaks his heart. Why? Because 1 Timothy 2.4, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We know it breaks his heart. And so we ultimately are choosing to follow after him or not following him. It is ultimately our choice. We know his heart. I want everyone to come into relationship. But at the end of the day, we're choosing. Follow what we want to do and away from God or we're going to come into relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, the only way to enter into a relationship with God. And we're going to choose Jesus. At the end of the day, it's ultimately, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. But even in the end of the day, you choose not to follow Jesus and not go God's way. To me, you've made your own bed. There is a consequence for that. Even though God in heaven sitting there going, oh, I deeply desire, oh, I deeply desire for them to come to know me, come to know me. It's like anyone who's listening or watching, if you've ever had a child and you know how deeply it breaks your heart when your child does a disobedient thing or may reject following God, you know exactly, you get a glimpse into the divine heart of who God is and how he feels about all of us when we go astray. And so in the end of the day, does God sit there and go, mm, you're gone. Nope, you're gone. Breaks his heart sitting there going, man, you didn't choose me. All the opportunities, you didn't choose me. And unfortunately, this is the result of your choice not to go after me. Mm. Which uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, this is one, we'll, I don't know if we'll call it a resource for this episode. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, which my understanding is he didn't write this necessarily as a doctrinal statement. Um, C.S. Lewis had very creative writing styles. But he writes this book, and we've read this, um, and, and it's this idea that you have a, you have a guy in, in, in hell, and he goes on a bus ride up to heaven. But one of, one of you know, the things that I took away from that book is, is C.S. Lewis made the, the case that even if, if somebody in hell were given the chance to go to heaven, they would refuse it. The things that, that were within their heart that got them in hell in the first place, they would not want to be in heaven because they would still cling to those things. I don't know. I'm, I'm not representing that well. Go read, read The Great Divorce. Yeah, I would highly agree. It, it's, it's one of those where it's, it's a fun read. Yeah. Because it's a story, yeah. right? Um, but it's a fun read, and we had a great discussion afterwards. I would say read it with a group so you can discuss it afterwards. Right. 
Um, and just again, don't don't take it as like a doctrinal statement. Right. Just read it. Read it for what it is. It just it could bring up some really interesting conversations. Um, there were parts that I, remember I was I was convicted by. You know, I mean, so there's there's good yeah. stuff in there. But and there's this idea of a bus that goes back and forth between heaven yeah. and hell, and just that. Yeah, it's just it, it's a it's just a fun read. Again, yeah. like you said, don't take it as doctrin- doctrinally uh, sound. Yeah. I don't think C.S. Lewis also meant that, but it could have been his. Right. That's, well, it's could have like, been his view it's also. Right. It's but. like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's some. There's he wrote that as allegory. There are some really cool, you know, elements of that that we can see shades of, of faith. But I mean, he, he he doesn't actually think that you know, God is a lion. You know, kind of thing. You know, whatever. All right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the different views. Kind of a, we'll dig into what hell actually is. Okay. And for this, again, uh, I will recommend a resource. Uh, this is a book, for those of you that are watching, I don't know if you'll be able to see it from here, but uh, it's called Four Views on Hell. This is edited by Stanley Gundry and Preston Sprinkle. I will post a link uh, on the, the video version of this. I'll post a link where you can access this. Um, because this is not something that we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to go in depth into these four views um, in the, the time that we have here today. <clears throat> so just a little bit of an overview, and then maybe one of them we'll jump into in uh, another episode. We'll see how it goes. I will say this. That book, when I was in seminary working on my master's, that book was a mandatory read for one of my theology classes. And then we had to write a very long paper on it. And uh, I enjoyed it because I'll be honest, I went, in, I went into there thinking, there's only one view of hell. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> this book has four views of hell? And then one thing I appreciate about the book is that they give you one of the views and then the other authors are allowed, I think, like five pages to rebuttal respond. and respond to that view. So... It's, it's a fun read, too, because you get to see the view and then the other author's opinion on why they believe like that view is not accurate. So it, it's fun, but it's also eye-opening to be like, oh, I, I was totally living in my own thing thinking, well, there's only one view of hell. And then you look and you're like, wow. Because some of them, I mean, they're obviously bringing scripture also mm-hmm. into play, right or wrong, out of context or not, or within context. And you're like, wow, I didn't see that or I never understood that word what it really meant and it's a fun book um, if you don't care about the theology of hell don't get it <laughs> if you want an interesting read and I, th- I think I thought it was easy to read personally but I'm not the best because you're a super smart guy well no I just it's, <laughs> reading comes easy for me so I'm not the best to say that but hey 220 <clears throat> pages or so yeah it look good. I mean, yeah. again, it, it might challenge you. So, yep. the, so the first view is what we would probably call the traditional view of hell. This is uh, sometimes it's uh, abbreviated ECT, which is for those of you that work in the psych field. No, we do not mean electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, we're talking about eternal conscious torment. ECT to me, like from the hospital, that that's what ECT was. Anyways, so eternal conscious torment. This idea that you are for eternity essentially being tortured, right? I mean, is that how the it punishment, is? The punishment for all eternity is punishment physically, mentally, and emotionally. It is 
It is the literal view of hell. You are, it's a lake of fire. It is eternal punishment. Which, I mean, is the, uh, some of the imagery that we see you know, in scripture. Yeah. This, um, this right here is the traditional view of hell. Right. Yeah. Which so, most, I'm guessing most of our audience is probably holds on to that or were, was taught that the eternal conscious torment forever being punished in a lake of fire. Right. And, and in this particular book, uh, a guy named Denny Burke, he promotes this, not promote, I mean, he, he kind of advocates this particular view. And one of the things he says is, well, eternal conscious torment is, is a, well, first of all, from scripture, he says, this is where we should arrive. Uh, but he says it makes sense in that our sin, right, is, is a violation against an infinitely holy God. So the, the punishment has to measure. It isn't, the, it isn't that my sin is bad. It's who we sinned against. Hmm. You know, that's, that's where the standard comes in. So we, we, we violate the standards of an infinitely holy God. So the punishment, therefore, has to be infinite as well. Um, and can I say this, though? The, the reason why there are four views of hell within our faith, although some may be more predominant than others, is because we have words that describe hell that we have three different. We have a Hebrew word. We have two Greek words that kind of describe hell. And so there adds a little bit of confusion as to exactly what hell is. So in the Older Testament, you have the Hebrew word uh, sheol, sheol. Did I say that? Did I pronounce that right? Uh, which literally means grave or place of the dead. So you have that, uh, which is a, a very Jewish view. There's beautiful diagrams of the Jewish view of the heavens. I think we briefly talked about it in one episode about Excellent. scripture talking about there in the third. Paul was saying, I was in the third heaven. Like, mm -hmm. what is that? There's a beautiful picture of what that in the, in the uh, biblical view of Judaism, what they believed in that. But in the Newer Testament, you've got two Greek words. You have Hades, which is translated for us as hell. But you also have Gehenna, which is actually used 12 times in the New Testament, which um, people use that interchangeably as well for hell. But we know what Gehenna was. It was a valley of uh, the Valley of Hinnom, I believe. Uh, you can read it in 2 Kings where they burned bodies in worship to Mordech, or uh, Molech, Molech. Yeah. Um, and so there's that view in trying to understand, and we've used Gehenna as translating as hell too. So there's a little bit of ambiguity there um, that that's why also there are four, like, okay, what actually is hell type thing? Right. So, yeah, ECT, the traditional view, eternal conscious torment for all eternity, suffering in the lake of fire. Okay. Um, then another view, again, and we're not, again, we can't do, like, deep dives in all the scriptures on these. Unfortunately, just, again, time doesn't allow, we would recommend you. Uh, all, again. all, again, all those views have scripture to their backing of why they believe their view. And I will, I will say this, like spoiler alert, the, we'll hit on the three. The fourth view in this book, I was actually 
very disappointed by the lack of scripture, but I think that's because there's not a good scripture. I think that's the worst of you. And I think, <laughs> I think just we'll looking at the that. time, we'll hit on that in uh, yeah. probably uh, another episode when we talk about maybe some, some bad ideas about the afterlife. Um, but so the next view of hell is what would be called annihilationism or terminal punishment. Uh, and this is the idea that you are you are punished. So there is, you know, Scripture uses this image of fire and, and this horrible situation. There is a period of punishment, some time of punishment, at the end of which you die. Like you cease to exist. Your soul ceases. Right. It's no longer there. Right. It's annihilated. Gone. Now, built into this, I mean, there, there are a few things built into this. One of them is the idea that, that we as, as human beings, our, our spirit, our soul, our, like none of that is inherently immortal, right? Because one objection to this view would be, well, people are like, you, you, you can't kill something immortal. And the idea being, well, we're not actually immortal. You know, you look at the, in the, uh, the Garden of Eden, well, they had the tree of life. The, the tree of life is what gives immortality. It isn't something inherent to human beings. So that is a piece of this uh, view. This would look at scriptures like um, Romans uh, 6, 6.23, 3.23. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, right? death. There you go. It says, hey, you sin, you're like, you, don't, you don't accept Jesus, you die. Uh, so that so would be This a, view, annihilationism, takes the word perish and death literal. You are destroyed. There's nothing left. And, and they would look at... destruction of who you, 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 of everything, you cease to exist. And there's, so there, a lot of the things, you know, the conversations around these different views uh, also deal with the, the Greek word that we would interpret eternal, ionios, uh, and I'm probably butchering that, that word. Uh, so one of the cases with uh, terminal punishment or annihilationism is they would, they would say, well, they're not talking about the, the duration of the punishment. They're talking about the results. Like you're, you're not enduring everlasting punishment, but the results, you'll be punished and you will, you will die. And that result is eternal. You're not coming back. So it's got a little bit of the traditional view of there, yes. is, there is some punishment for the sin yes. in the lake of fire. However, it's not for eternity. Boom, right. you're vanished forever. Yes. Yeah. And then, so then you would obviously not, you know, participate in, you know, what we would consider heaven. But you also won't be forever and ever, amen. You know, being yeah. tortured. Yep. Uh, anything you want to add on that one? Uh, nope. I think I think non-believers hold on to this view in general in life. At the end of life, there's nothing. You cease to exist. It's just Sands the punishment part. Nothing, right? I mean, right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, which, I mean, I, I do think is an important distinction because otherwise you, you look at this at face value and you think, wait, so all the atheists are right? <laughs> they're just, they're going to die and they're going to be pushing up daisies? Well, they wouldn't be right in this sense because part of an annihilationism is the ascent to the truth that the greatest thing that we can understand is the presence of God. So when one is annihilated, they don't experience not, not only the presence of God inside of them, but even around them. Unbelievers experience the presence of God in, in the world as we understand it every day. 
whether they recognize it or not. Mm-hmm. So the, the pain and penalty of annihilationism is a total separation from the creator, a complete separation. Yeah, it's, it's not just a slap on the wrist. And, no. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, you, there's still some, some punishment. There yeah. is punishment still, and then you're, yep, cut off. There's nothing left. All right, uh, the last one we'll talk about uh, for now is universalism, which uh, there's another term, and I totally, totally drawn a blank. Because While you, you go to explain this and think about the term, this is the minority view. This has the least amount outside of the other view we're going to talk about that we think has the least amount of scripture to it. Right. This of the three that we are, we've been talking so far, this is the most minority. But it's also one that I think requires a little bit of clarification. Yeah. Because some people will use the term universalism uh, with this idea, and I don't know if this is a modern idea, but you know, essentially this idea that all paths lead to God. That's not what this particular view of hell is. It, it is not a, oh, hey, you, like, you're a Buddhist, you're a Muslim, you're a Christian, you're a Jew. All of those are going to get you to the same place. You're good. That is not what this is. This is the idea that, you know, after death, there will be a, a period of time in, again, in essentially in torment, you know, enduring the traditional view of hell, but ultimately, everyone through that process will come to a point of acknowledging and receiving Jesus. And through Jesus, uh, at coming into eternity with him. So, I mean, you referenced that passage in, in one of the Timothy letters, right? And, and this view would, would build on statements like that. You know, like, hey, um, what is it, 1 Corinthians uh, one or not First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians one twenty. Colossians one twenty. You know, through like, Jesus, God will reconcile to himself all things, all whether things. on earth or in heaven. Yeah. All things. So they would they would look at that and say, Well, look at like all things means all things, right? <laughs> and and they would say, So so eventually everything must come back to Jesus. Uh, this, there's a version of this view uh, kind of brought up by Rob Bell several years ago in his book, Love Wins. Yep. Uh, the gentleman in this book, uh, or maybe it was Preston Sprinkle in his editorial notes, uh, they didn't particularly care for how Rob, Rob Bell handled it. His was a little bit more emotionally driven and mm-hmm. um, whatnot. But yeah, so this, this is the idea that eventually everybody will... But there, this view holds, as you said, um, not, all, not all roads lead to God, only through Jesus Christ. They still hold to that view. However, ultimately, everyone will be in heaven. That's right. what this view holds, right. that those suffering in hell will eventually come, like you said, to, to know that their separation from God, and they will eventually come to a knowledge to say, I need to get out of hell because that's ultimately heaven is I know who God is. And, uh, you know, Rob Bell, one of his verses, I can't remember off the top of my head, but one of his arguments for this view is that the idea of that heaven's gates are always open. 
So that therefore those in hell, it's always open. So at the end of the world, whether you're in heaven or hell, why would heaven's gates always be open? That was Rob Bell's view. There must be some sort of still re-entrance into heaven then, and it must be those in hell or something. So, um, yeah, interesting view. I'll be honest, this is the view that you kind of make. You hope it's you, right. You hope, <laughs> right? Like for our loved ones that are not following Jesus and that we know are, are going to be separated in hell for all eternity from, this is the view that you're sitting there and I hope one day that they can get out of hell and go to heaven. This is the emotional tug on this view. Um, what's interesting, though, if you did some more deeper dive and research, there are some church fathers, if you will, looking back at church history, that held on to this view. Origen held on to this view. Clement of Alexandria held on to this view. And Augustine, early in his life, actually held on to this view. Yeah, he, he, he flipped, flipped later in life, yeah. but he, the early Augustine actually held on to this view. So um, it is still within the minority of the faith, but we did have church fathers that did hold on to this view. I mean, we don't know, was it emotionally driven or not? But as we said, this is the view that you deeply hope. I really hope this would be great that they would recognize their need for a savior and, and into the presence of God. But yeah. Yeah, and you know one of the other things that comes up w- within the the context of the the conversation on universalism is again going back to that passage you read in Timothy, right? It talks about God's desire, you know, it's God's will that everyone would be saved. Uh, I believe it was Rob Bell, and if if I'm misquoting you, and Rob Bell, if you're listening, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is not listening Rock and roll. to. Hey, I will say, say what you will. Rob Bell is a, a super gifted communicator. He is one uh, of the best that there are. Super gifted communicator. His yep. his writings, his teachings. Uh, mind-blowing. Uh, unfortunately, he, he took some unorthodox uh, positions on some things. Yes. Um, but, you know, he talks about this idea that, well, if it's God, God's will that everyone be saved, are we saying God's will isn't always accomplished? Hmm. Because if, it, if, if, if Scripture tells us God's will is that all would come to him, well, then we're saying God doesn't always get what he wants. Yeah. When, when, when Love Wins came out, that was like significant. That's when I think for the first time those in our faith was like, oh my gosh, there is a universalism view of hell type thing. Immediately, weeks after it was released, there's a rebuttal to Love Wins, which was done by Preston Sprinkle and Francis Chan called Erasing Hell. And that was a beautiful moment that that came out shortly after because I read Love Wins in four hours laying on my couch. And then a few weeks later, I sat there and read Erasing Hell, the rebuttal to it. And that was a beautiful, like, hey, this is why we believe this is dangerous and Mm -hmm. wrong to have this theology. So hats off to Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle, who co-authored the rebuttal to Love Wins. Um, But yeah, still fascinating dives into Mm -hmm. some Views that we didn't even realize that there are those that hold on to some views. So we actually only touched three, three out so of the four views on hell. So real, real quick, uh, we've got we've got JB, we've got Ryan here. Uh, maybe you don't want to say where where do you guys fall? You know, do you guys do you guys adhere to? Uh, 
uh, one Pastor of those three. Ryan go first. Do you guys I'll have go first. A, I'll go first. You I'm guys not have afraid a of this fifth, one. I'm not afraid option. either. I I, uh, <laughs> fifth option, maybe. <laughs> no. Uh, but I will say this. When we say we hope universalism, the universal tr- uh, universalism view of hell is true, we don't say that is our view, <laughs> okay? I want to make sure mm. listeners understand that. It, it's that, again, that would be great for our loved ones and family and friends that are unfortunately never chose to follow Jesus. Right, because that decision is formed by your understanding of what hell is. The mercy motivates you to to wish it were true because you actually believe. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so, all right, yeah. My my personal view is I think the descriptions of an eternal fire uh, were intended to be metaphorical. Uh, um, I, I do believe that personally. Um, I do believe in a, in a hell, a, if you will, a literal hell. Is it a lake of fire always? I, I personally think that was metaphorically. Uh, there's a lot of metaphors used in scripture. Um, I personally would be on the side of, um, I do believe that instance is a metaphorical but there is a separation. I think hell is a place of endless conscious punishment. Um, Jude 13 talks about um, it's, it's the blackest darkness um, type stuff. So I hold on to that. I think it's not a literal fire. I think both heaven and hell are largely in scripture symbolic. We had talked previous episode, are there really gold streets? I think that's metaphors. However, it'd be pretty cool if there were, right? <laughs> pearly gates. Are the gates really pearly? I don't know, but it's going to be pretty cool if they are, if I get to see it, right? I mean, it'd be cool. I think they're metaphors, though. So I think this fire idea is also a metaphor of hell and not a literal description. I believe the fire is in that idea of in, in knowing I'm not in the presence of God. So my view is I hold on to that hell view of that is separation from the presence of God for all eternity. And that right there is the eternal punishment. Mm. I'm not up there, wherever there is, wherever heaven is, in the presence of God. And my eternal punishment is the hunger and longing. I should have known him. I I grew up with ECT, you know, Ryan, like you described, um, and I lean towards ECT because it's what I know, you know, going through Bible college, it's what I was taught. Um, But as of late in the last couple of years, I've done a lot more research, particularly with Dr. Preston Sprinkle on annihilationism. And it's interesting. I will say that it's interesting um, for those very Romans road verses, you know, the idea that... um, it's complete separation. It is death. Um, I would say as I sit here, as we record this podcast, ECTs is where I land. Yeah. Out of curiosity, do you believe in a literal lake of fire? I do. Okay. So that's I, the only difference between you and me is I would say yeah, metaphorically, you'd say, nah, it's literal. Yeah. Ultimately, and even like when you're talking about symbolism with heaven, I, I agree with you. As you were sharing, I was like, you know, he could be right. I don't really know. But what I do know is that hell is this place of, of where our, our enemy is. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And heaven is a place that says there's no need for light because Jesus lights this place. So it's these uh, not 
parallel entities, but the one that we worship, this is heaven. Being with him forever, face to face, that's what heaven is. All of those other things, like you said, cool if there are gold streets and all of that, but Jesus is what really makes heaven heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can give your input real quick. Uh, real quick, I mean, I've, I've grown up, you know, with eternal conscious torment. Um, I want to do a deeper dive into that the whole idea of eternal. You know, that's one of the things they bring up with annihilationism mm. is eternal. You know, because uh, you mentioned a, a passage in Jude. Jude 13 um, talks about the blackest darkness. Uh, but in, like, in Jude 7, you know, it talks about, it kind of compares Sodom and Gomorrah. With the, and they use the imagery of eternal fire. Well, obviously, Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean... It got burned to the ground, and then it was done. Mm. You know, so you know, so if that's eternal fire, again, that idea that the the, the punishment has a, a limited duration, the the effects of the punishment are forever. So I just I want to do a deeper dive on mm. that. You know, right now, like if somebody put a gun to my head, I would ECT. Yeah. Um, but I want to I want to do some more digging. And, and again, would you come on the side of an, a literal lake of fire? Less and less. You know, over the over the years, I've I've moved a little bit away from that to where it is more of just the uh, ultimate isolation, in a sense. You know, you you know you're cut off not only from God, but in in a sense, in in rebuttal to my you know my coworker who's like, sweet, it's going to be a party with all my friends. No, like you are, you are absolutely alone, like cut off from everything, uh, which is. Against our nature, like we're wired yeah. for connection with God, we're wired for connection with other people. Like mm-hmm. the the brokenness of sin, right? When sin came into the world, right, it breaks these four relationships: relationship with God, ourself, others, and creation. Uh, I think I think hell is the magnification of how broken that is. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in the end of the day. Um, we would stand that hell is a literal place of, of, of um, conscious torment as we would sit there, all three of us agreeing right now. Um, it's separation from God and it's not pleasant. That there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. Mm. And the only way to come into that knowledge of who God is, which is his desire, that all men come to know me. It's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ Amen. alone. And that's where we stand. Yeah, yeah. This is more of a fun dive into other views that do exist out there. Um, and do some research. Don't, don't just absolutely. take our word for it. Don't just absolutely. take our word for it. Grab, you know, grab this book. Um, but if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, we would love to have a conversation with you. Shoot us an email, podcast at theradiantlife.church. Uh, or you can call or text me, 269-221-8643. You just spelled a Bob Goff right there. <laughs> that was bold. Uh, I'd love, that, love to have that conversation uh, to, to get you connected with Jesus uh, to where you can, you yeah. don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about what hell's like because you're not going, I'm not too worried about it because I'm not going there. You personally, you know? but we got a mandate. Oh, no, right, but that's right, insane. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm got not. family, friends, coworkers, workers, yeah. classmates. And there's a, there's a way. God's heart is yeah. for them to know him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, hey, thank you for joining us for this episode of Radiant Reflections as we've continued our series on death and dying. Uh, in our next episode, we'll talk about a couple of other, you know, sort of related ideas to the afterlife uh, that we, again, really wouldn't... A fourth view. That a was fourth view. A fourth view. And, we didn't get And sort of that. a fifth view. Bad ideas. Yeah, it kind of like some bad ideas about, yeah. about the afterlife. So we will see you for that episode. We would love it if you would like, share, rate, review, subscribe. All of those good things, whether you're viewing this on YouTube or you are uh, engaging with this on whatever podcast platform you use, uh, we love some feedback from you. So you go ahead and do that, and that would be awesome. Share it on your social media. We thank you very much for that, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. We hope today's edition of Radiant Reflections has helped you live like Jesus and share his love with your family, friends, and neighbors. To learn more about the church family this podcast originates from, check out theradiantlife.church. That's theradiantlife.church. Maybe you have some questions after listening today. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at theradiantlife.church. That's podcast at theradiantlife.church. Don't forget to subscribe to the Radiant Reflections podcast. When you subscribe, you'll always have the latest content delivered right to your phone from the Radiant Life Church. We'd also be grateful if you could rate and review Radiant Reflections. Every time we receive a five-star review, more people learn about this podcast. We also want to encourage you to share this podcast on social media and with your friends and family. Join us next time for another edition of Radiant Reflections. Radiant Reflections.